Abraham Lincoln Radio Studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Ukrainian spirit is growing every day. We all are united around our president and around our armed forces in defending our home. It's, is president, it, we don't have any other alternative. Is President Zelensky safe? He's as safe as our country. And that's the choice he made to stay in Kiev, to stay in Ukraine and uh, lead the nation in this very difficult moment. When's the last time the world has rallied around a man or a country the way they have Ukraine and President Zelensky? And I shouldn't say rallying around him, although he is the face of this. And uh, and and uh, <laughs> I mentioned earlier, I came across a tweet. Hey, guys, get used to it. Your girlfriend or your wife's in love with Vladimir Zelensky. And I, I'm sure that's true. He's a handsome actor who is also uh, one of the bravest men on Earth. He was told advised by our president to leave the country, and he said no. And he was advised again over the weekend, and he announced, I don't need a ride, I need ammunition. That guy's not going anywhere. His family is still there. How inspiring is that? That is what has inspired all those Ukrainian men to go to whatever office to sign up to fight, get their weapon, and go out there. That is what's inspiring the local brewery to stop making beer and start making Molotov cocktails that they're handing out to anybody who wants them. Saw a lot of women in line, too, by the way. Not a lot, but a few. And saw an interview with a woman. She looked to be like 45 years old. She said, I'm young enough, I'm healthy enough, I'm going to fight for my country. She got in line, you know, hand me a gun. I'm going to do what I can. Their president is standing firm, so they're going to stand firm. If he had left the country, as our president advised him to do, who knows what this would look like today, what the will to fight would have been. It would have looked completely different, I guarantee you. So everything changed over the weekend. Things may have changed semi-permanently. Countries uh, passing resolutions to put more money into NATO, for instance, or changing their internal laws about providing weapons to Ukraine. China's got to be watching this and thinking, "Uh uh-oh. Apparently the free world is not done. Apparently the free world is not so divided that they can't come together in the face of uh, an autocracy. So what turned the tide over the weekend that caused Germany to say, you know what? We are going to give you weapons. You know what? Other countries that we've provided weapons to, go ahead and give them to. You know what? We're going to start putting in a higher percentage of money into NATO. And a whole bunch of countries made these sorts of, I was going to say flip-flop, but that's too dismissive. Uh, uh, what's the what's the word? The uh, um, uh, there's, a, there's a word that they use in politics that <laughs> is uh, the same as flip-flop, but sounds more sophisticated. Um... um Evolved, that's it. My opinions have evolved. Now, whether they're doing it for the right reason or they're just seeing the people in the streets are a combination of the two, there were 100,000 people in the streets of Berlin yesterday, all there to support Ukraine. You don't think this new Chancellor Schultz, who's been in power for just a couple of weeks, isn't somewhat pushed by that to be on the right side of history? But also, these world leaders may have been affected by 
their Zoom call, their video call that they had with President Zelensky of Ukraine over the weekend. The Washington Post had a great story on this. I think I said the New York Times uh, earlier. I apologize. Historic sanctions on Russia had roots in an emotional appeal from Zelensky. It was a video call in which a whole bunch of European leaders were on there. After a perfunctory debate, the presidents and prime ministers quickly approved sanctions on Russian President Vladimir Putin, etc., etc. Nothing really new. Then at the end of this video call, on Saturday night, the Ukrainian president, Vladimir Zelensky, dialed into the meeting via teleconference with a bracing appeal that left some of the world-weary politicians with watery eyes. These cold-hearted realists who you, you, you don't think you could make their eyes water with anything. In just five minutes, Zelensky, speaking from the battlefield of Kiev, pleaded with European leaders for an honest assessment of his country's ambition to join the EU and for genuine help in its fight with Russian invaders. Food, ammunition, fuel, sanctions. Ukraine needed its European neighbors to step up with all of it. It was extremely, extremely emotional, said a European official briefed on the call. He was essentially saying, look, we are dying for European ideals. Before disconnecting the video call, Zelensky told the gathering, matter-of-factly, that it might be the last time you see me alive, before he hung up, according to a senior EU official who was president. Just that quickly, the Ukrainian president's personal appeal overwhelmed European leaders' resistance resistance to imposing measures that could drive the Russian economy into a state of near collapse, which it has today. The result has been a rapid-fire series of developments boosting Ukraine's fight to hold off the Russian military and shattering long-standing limits on European assertiveness and national security affairs. The actions culminated on Saturday when the U.S., Canada, the United Kingdom, and the European Union announced they would bar several major Russian banks from the global financial messaging system known as SWIFT. Now, some people have been critical that they haven't gone after all the banks, but that's a huge step from where we were on Friday. Huge. And the idea that Germany and others, including the United States, are now talking about, not talking about, have committed to sending arms that we were told last hour by Mike Lyons can be in the hands of Ukrainian soldiers or average citizens within 24 hours. Huge deal. And all it took was, all it took was, what accomplished it was looking into the eyes of that young actor-turned-president who's willing to die for his country saying, I might not be alive the next time you see me. And he wasn't kidding. Like I said last hour, This is the first non-performative politics we've seen in so long. I think it's really hitting us in a a different way. He's serious because it is serious. It's 100% serious that he he might be dead at any moment. Now, I do believe this. I think if Putin knows what's good for him, if he still is going to, if Putin is still under the belief that he can pull this off and take over Ukraine, one thing that would make it Less likely is killing Zelensky. Zelensky has become a um, a worldwide figure of sympathy. And he's got support all around the world. And if we get word that he has been killed by Russian soldiers, or worse, um, Putin's in a bad spot. He, he has created a martyr, and that'll be the end of Putin, I think. I really think so. Now, we talked to this guy, Jeff McCausland, military guy, 
uh, knows a lot about the subject. We used to talk to him years ago. Haven't talked to him for a while. We're going to have him on next to see get, see his assessment of where things are going militarily, how long he thinks it will take for some of these uh, weapons to get into the hands of the Ukrainians, and, and how likely he thinks that Putin follows through on his threat of using nuclear weapons. Jeez, can't believe I'd ever even be saying that. All that's coming up next. Armstrong and Getty. I don't think he's he's a rational actor because he's fearful, right? What he wants to do more than anything is restore Russia to national greatness. He's driven by that. He's also driven by a desire to remain in power to at least 2036. And and so he I think now he knows that all of that is at risk, right? That Russia the Russian military doesn't look very good right now. He doesn't look very powerful. And this is going to jeopardize his ability to stay in power. I don't think he's a rational actor, so you got to parse that word, what that means in given circumstances. That's H.R. McMaster. Uh, you remember him from the uh, Trump cabinet. We're going to talk with Dr. Jeff McCausland, CBS News military consultant. We used to have on the show all the time, retired colonel from the U.S. Army, um, senior fellow at Stockdale Center for Ethical Leadership at the Naval Academy. Jeff, welcome back to the Armstrong and Getty Show. Jack, it's great to be with you. So uh, where are we now? How do you think the weekend went, man? I feel like we're in a completely different position than we were on Friday. In some ways, we are. There's no two ways about it. Though I have to say, Jack, uh, up front, uh, I Creek almost told it with H.R. McMaster, who I happen to know. In fact, H.R. and I served in combat together during the Gulf War and is an old friend and someone I, I respect enormously. But where we are right now, of course, is the... The uh, Russian military has not shown themselves to be the force we thought they were in terms of quickly bringing this to a military resolution with Ukraine. And the Ukrainians have been a lot uh, a lot uh, better than I think many people imagine. And certainly, if there was anything you could do to bring together the Ukrainians as a cohesive population and raise nationalism in, in Ukraine and Ukrainian identity, Vladimir Putin has now done it, without a doubt. The other thing, so the first thing I find somewhat startling is how poor the Russians have done and how poor the Russians are doing. Uh, the second thing I find very interesting is, frankly, how well uh, the alliance has held together. Because I think the two assumptions Putin had entering this war is that Ukraine would be a pushover, it would be 2014, it would be over in a couple of days, there would be hardly any fighting at all. That proved to be totally untrue. And the second assumption I think he made was that the alliance would splinter, countries be making side deals. And so the, the, the real goal here was to destroy NATO, and surprisingly, the NATO alliance has hung together. Who would have predicted? Who would have predicted two weeks ago uh, that a German, a new German chancellor who's a social democrat, would announce the delivery of lethal weapons, air defense weapons, and anti-tank weapons directly to Ukraine, and also announce that Germany would now raise its defense spending to over two percent of GDP, and all that has occurred in the last few days. Well, I've been talking about how I think the, uh, at least in this case, the great man theory of history has played out, and then I think it all hinges on our president told Zelensky to leave the country, and Zelensky said, I ain't going. And uh, and then we were just talking about the Washington Post article where those European leaders talking to Zelensky over the weekend, and he said, this might be the last time you see me alive, and how everybody in that room got teary-eyed, and that's when they changed their minds about this. 
um, you know, when people people rallied to his side. So I think that'll, you know, go down in history as a as a key moment that Zelensky said, no, I'm staying and we're fighting. Um, but all these pledges of equipment and everything like that, how long will it take to get that stuff? Can we get it in their hands before they get pummeled? Well, I think so. Uh, certainly, it's a bit more difficult task than it was prior to hostilities because obviously you're not going to fly this in in big cargo aircraft with the Russians having at least air superiority over the battlefield. So it's going to have to be delivered by ground. So it is interesting in that regard that the Poles have announced the transfer of six MiG-29s directly to the Ukrainian Air Force. So the the military hardware that we deliver them has got to be military hardware that they can absorb immediately. Wouldn't do any good to deliver 100 M1 tanks. They haven't got anybody trained to operate it or maintain it. It would be useless. Shoulder-fired air defense weapons, anti-tank weapons, pretty simple. More ammunition, pretty simple. We can use that with systems we already have in place. MiG-29, Ukrainians fly the MiG-29 anyway. So these are things that they can absorb. But I still think based on how the, the, the fact that Ukraine borders several NATO countries, there still is the ability to deliver this stuff and deliver it pretty quickly. Fantastic, and I sure hope so. Um, how about the dedication of the average Russian soldier. I've been hearing these stories of yeah. some of them, you know, getting there and and saying, we were told this was a training exercise. We don't even know what they're doing. Do, do you buy that? Yeah, I, th- I do buy that. Now, don't forget, I mean, are the Ukrainians executing uh, disinformation sure. campaigns? Sure, and they should. <laughs> and they should, and, and I think they're pretty doggone good at it, to tell you the truth. But there has been increasing evidence of Russian soldiers, as you say, being captured, find themselves misoriented. Where are we? We thought this was a training exercise. Uh, one guy I know that I've been in touch with who's over there said we find them young, scared. We offer them food, and we offer them the opportunity to call their mothers at home back in Russia so their parents know they're okay. You know, how about that for the nature of warfare in the 21st century? But apparently the Russians also were not exactly supporting these guys very well, sitting there in the snow waiting for this attack to occur that they were poorly fed and not very well treated over the last six or seven months that this particular conflict has been brewing. Um, So it suggests to you, I think, not only how poorly the Russians have executed the campaign and ensuring that their logistics could match what their offensive wanted to do, but just how they treat a large portion of their soldiers. About 30% of the Russian soldiers are conscripts. That's a general, general breakdown of the Russian military. And some of these young kids are certainly in that category. Well, so then give me an idea, since you've got experience with this sort of thing, how big a difference is it between one military that's poorly fed, uh, they don't even know why they're doing it, they're just doing it because they were told, versus a group of people that feel like they're fighting for their very existence and they are very, very emotionally invested? Well, you have to go back in history. and Just go back to Napoleon Bonaparte some two centuries ago. Napoleon once said, the moral is to the physical as three is to one. Mm. Moral is to the physical as three is to one. And people who are fighting for something they believe in are obviously much more determined, and we're seeing that played out in a hundred different anecdotes that we see uh, in Ukraine, and we're not seeing that played out among individual Russian soldiers. Now, that's not to say please let's keep put this in perspective as much as we can admire that <clears throat> the Russian military still outguns Ukraine in every category of military hardware that you can possibly imagine. And having lost surprise, the one thing the Russians really like in their military doctrine, having not achieved speed, the second thing the Russian military doctrine seeks to do 
then they will turn, I'm fear, to the third thing they look for in their military doctrine, and that is mass, mm. mass. And so we're liable to see more Russian troops, perhaps the entry of Belarusian troops coming out of Belarus to support them, and perhaps a further intensification beyond what we've seen so far in bombing, rockets, and missile attacks in the Russian effort to break the will of the Ukrainian people as well as destroy the Ukrainian military. Hey, I'm going to put you in a tough position with about a minute left, but you wrote a piece the other day, Why Russia's Ukraine Invasion Should Matter to Americans. Now, i got to believe most people who have hung with me this far in the show care about this, or they would have turned it off. But why should Americans care? Because ultimately, this is an attack on democracy by autocracy. And we need to understand, I think, as Americans, that around the world, democracy is under attack by autocracy. Both Xi Jinping in China and and both Vladimir Putin sitting in Moscow believe firmly that liberal democracy is on the decline and all they need to do is accelerate that. And they watch our polarization. They watch January 6th and they enjoyed that far more than anybody you can possibly imagine. Uh, so we need to understand that's what this is all about ultimately. And the fact that we're reacting not only as the United States, but in concert with democratic societies in Europe and around the world will actually make the difference and hopefully mean that things will be better on the other side of this. Jeff McCausland, CBS News military consultant. Appreciate your time today. Really do. My pleasure. Yeah, I think China's looking at this and thinking, well, I guess the free world still gets a say in how this all turns out. And uh, that that message is being heard by a lot of autocracies around the world. If you miss an hour of the show, grab the podcast at armstrongandgetty.com. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Ladies and gentlemen, the Ukrainian Chorus Dumka of New York. Live from New York, it's Saturday night. That was awesome. That was awesome and a, and a cool move by um, by Saturday Night Live. Um, and then uh, John Mulaney, is that his name? The comedian was the host, and he came out, and I thought, how is he going to turn this mood around? And he did the only thing he could do. He just launched into his comedy set, which ended up being hilarious, but that was cool that Saturday Night Live did that. A quick... Uh, breaking news update. Just looking at the picture here. Ukraine's President Zelensky has just signed EU membership application at a desk in a room with a barricade behind him, but he has uh, officially applied for EU membership. I don't know how that's going to be received or what the likelihood is of that happening or whatever. Russian ships are now banned from docking at British ports. That's happening all around the world. Um, And another porn-related embargo... So we talked earlier about how Pornhub, which I learned a couple of months ago when they got in trouble, legal trouble, is I think the biggest porn platform in the world, has stopped porn at the borders of Russia. So if you're in Russia and you're a young man and you think, you know what, I'm tired of watching the news, this is stressing me out, I think I'll go to Pornhub um, and enjoy some cinema. 
uh, when you bring up Pornhub in Russia, you just get the Ukrainian flag. So I don't know how excited you get over that, but probably not as excited. And uh, now OnlyFans has done the same sort of thing. So apparently there are Russian women who have OnlyFans sites and they have been shut down. So the uh, Russian women, uh, the, the quote one here who says that she's lost $8,000 already today by not being able to put her videos up. So all kinds of different angles. Some silly, some, well, they're all meaningful. I didn't like any of the stories over the weekend that were poo-pooing various gestures. For instance, um, it was a, a meme there for a while how all around the world, bartenders, individuals are pouring out vodka showing they don't support Russia. And then I saw a couple of business reports. Actually, Russian vodka only accounts for 1% of And even if the total was the GDP, blah, blah, blah. That's not the freaking point. The point is we hate you and we're on these guys. We're on the good guys side. That's the point. And having the, the world come together and have Putin seeing the man, everybody hates me. They're not even drinking vodka anymore. That's the point. How do you not get that? Um, a couple other stories I want to hit you with. Oh, I mentioned earlier the Russian TV host. So he's the big TV anchor in Russia put in place by Putin. And he reads, you know, state news printed by the Kremlin every day. He actually started crying on the air when he was reading stories about various oligarchs, which includes him losing their yachts, losing access to their uh, vacation homes, all that sort of stuff. He started crying on the air because it's it's coming for him now. Uh, Ian Bremmer tweeted out over the weekend, Putin has made NATO stronger and more united than any time since the Berlin Wall came down in 1989. His goal was to destroy NATO, to split it apart, and I'll tell you what, there for a while I thought there was a chance. Our own Mike Lyons last Friday said, I don't even know why Germany's in NATO anymore. I felt that way too, so Putin thought he might be able to pry NATO apart, but that has not happened. All because of Zelensky, by the way, their president. He held firm and changed the entire tenor of this worldwide. I'll talk more about that later. But Ian Bremmer tweeted out, this is a miscalculation of the world's master tactician, and it is staggering. I would say so. Vladimir Putin may have sealed his fate. He may be done. He ordered Russian nuclear forces to be on high alert yesterday. Whether or not Putin is sane or not is a question, but uh, he certainly doesn't seem like he's all there. One more tweet from Ian Bremmer, because we like him and we have him on the show a lot. Putin's economy is about to employ. This was tweeted yesterday before the economy did implode. It came out today. The ruble is now less worth less than one U.S. cent, which is staggering. His geostrategic position is worse than at any point in his 22-year presidency. It's all his fault, but admission of failure is inconceivable for a, for a dictator like him. So it's unlikely that he's going to climb down from this position and decide that was a, a mistake. So this week is incredibly dangerous and not just for Ukraine. I would say, does Putin feel backed into a corner enough that he thinks, you know, I got to go nuclear. That's the only way I'm going to get these people to back off. Does he have anybody around him that would tell him that was a bad idea? Probably not. President Zelensky himself said the next 24 hours are going to be huge for us. I've heard people say 24, 
48 or 72, but the next couple of days are going to be the tipping point one way or the other. I just hope we can get all those arms that the world has promised to uh, the Ukrainians. I hope we can get them you know, across the border and into their hands so they have a fighting chance. Um, kind of a side note, I also tweeted this out over the weekend. I came across it. Vladimir Zelensky, the hero of Ukraine and maybe the hero of the free world, won Ukraine's Dancing with the Stars in 2006, and I put out the video, and you can watch all of his performances as he, uh, you know, where it's just like our Dancing with the Stars. He wears all kinds of outlandish outfits and uh, does all kinds of mugging for the camera, and he's a great dancer. He won Ukraine's Dancing with the Stars as their biggest TV celebrity back in 06, and here he is today. As Joe pointed out last week, uh, you know, some men are born to greatness, others have greatness thrust upon them. He has met the moment in a way I don't remember anybody meeting the moment, you know, outside of Nelson Mandela or Winston Churchill in uh, in previous memory. And the world is rallying behind him, and for good reason. But like I said, I got more on that to talk about later. It's uh, it's so inspiring. Yes, Michael. Andy can dance. Andy can dance. Yeah. Yeah, apparently he's an actor, comedian, and a hell of a dancer. I'm telling you. And risking his life at this very moment, he knows he could die. Uh, I think it would be the end of Putin. I think it would be the biggest strategic miscalculation he could possibly make if he just, if he figures out where Zelensky is and try and attempts to put a missile into that building. If he kills Zelensky and makes him a martyr, the world is going to rally ten times what they already have to make sure Putin doesn't win. That that's that's my assessment of it. Um. And what a, what an awful story that would be. I hope it doesn't happen. Uh, the stock market will be closing in Russia, and we'll get the final numbers on that. And we got some other non-Ukraine stuff that I want to hit you with. A little bit of COVID stuff as mask mandates are dropping like flies. But you got a number of schools around the country where teachers are not showing up. Sick outs. I know of a school in our listening area where three quarters of the teachers did not show up today as that school had voted to uh, not enforce the mask mandate. Still haven't been able to nail down exactly what the teachers are striking for. Hey, here's a little tip for me. I'm no genius, but here's my tip. If you're going to strike, you got to tell people what you're striking for. You got to tell people what you want or it doesn't really do any good. Are you wanting... Are you mad that you have to wear masks and the kids don't? Or you want the kids to wear masks? What do you what do you want? You, can't, you don't have any leverage if you don't tell people what, what you want. But uh, New York announced they're dropping their mask mandate. Uh, I think it's tomorrow. And California is going to make an announcement today. Hopefully this is freaking over. Hopefully it's over. I was looking at a tweet yesterday that said, did COVID-19 just disappear from view when this Ukraine thing started or what? I know there's like not a story about it. We have something else to talk about. Thank God. And an actual threat to worry about since Omicron hasn't been really been a, a threat to most of us for quite some time. Anyway, stay tuned. Text line 415-295-KFTC. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show.
just today, uh, the news is grim. The, the uh, stock exchange, the Russian stock exchange, has been uh, closed. Interest rates uh, doubled to 20%. Uh, so uh, there are real pressures. President Putin is under pressure, just not, uh, not just militarily, but diplomatically and economically. That's good news. The, uh, the sanctions that surprisingly were announced over the weekend as world opinion changed, why it changed, we'll talk about in just a second. But the sanctions kicking in today and the, uh, the stock market punishing Russia, how long will the Russian people put up with that? We'll see. Putin is under a lot of pressure. The scary thing is if he's under a lot of pressure, does he follow through with some of his threats to use a nuclear weapon? Or does he start doing like he did in Syria, where he just he bombs indiscriminately? He bombs apartment complexes. He bombs hospitals. He bombs those long lines of women and children walking to Poland. Does he start doing that? I don't know. Or is he rational enough to realize, uh, no, this is not going the way I wanted it. How do I get out? Um, the brave people of Ukraine, particularly all the... Um, uh, mostly men who are ordered to stay behind, but most of them are volunteering. Uh, this is Charles Daggett of CBS News. The government has called on men 18 to 60 to step up and fight, handing out around 18,000 weapons. They don't want us revealing this location because they don't want it to be a target for the Russian military. But we have seen a steady stream of volunteers. The commander told us it's not hundreds but thousands, very few with any military experience, every single one of them ready to fight. The New York Times had a great video of those thousands getting in line and, uh, you know, all ages. And I was struck by how many old men there were there. Guys, it looked like they're well into their 60s, certainly their 50s, who were lining up to, you know, get a gun or a Molotov cocktail or whatever you're going to hand me and I'm ready to go fight. That is, that is something, and I think they're inspired by their leadership, in particular, President Zelensky. And I, I can't get over this. Our president told their president to flee the country. Now, I don't know the answer to this question, but is that what Reagan would have said? Or H.W. Bush? Or even Clinton or Obama? What? What is that? Is that what we do now? So Zelensky said, "I'm not leaving." As a, as a friend of mine said, Zelensky basically said to, to Biden, "Let's go, Brandon," and uh, and and got everybody motivated. No, I'm staying. We're all staying, and we're going to fight, and we're going to win this thing. I mean, that is true leadership on a scale that I don't remember ever seeing. The sort of sort of stuff you read about in history books. Now, let me hit you with a little bit a little bit of this. This is where the tide turned. I think it started with his initial statement that he was not going to leave. On the evening of February 25th, two days into the Russian invasion of his country, Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky stood beside his senior staff in a capital under fire and recorded a simple video, a selfie video. I'll just read from the video. Ukraine's Zelensky posts a new video of himself and his team outside the presidential administration in Kiev's government quarter after rumors in Russia media spread that he had fled. So he's trying to combat the disinformation that he had left the country. Remember what happened as they closed in on Kabul and the president of Afghanistan said, I'm staying. 
while he was stealing $100 million and getting on a plane to leave the country? That's not what Zelensky and his family are doing. Anyway, he uh, recorded this video on a dark street, all of them wearing military gear. Good evening to you all. The head of government is here. The head of the president's office is here. Prime Minister Shamal is here. Advisor Podliak is here. The president is here. Our soldiers are here. Our citizens are here. We are all defending our independence, our country, and it will stay that way. Glory to the men and women defending us. Glory to Ukraine. Glory to the heroes. That was the whole video. You're going to tell me when that makes the rounds? That doesn't make you think as a 32-year-old? Hell yes. Where's the office? I'm going. Hand me a gun. I saw that. It made me want to fly to Ukraine and join in. That is inspiring. Like I said earlier, I think it's especially inspiring because we're coming out of years in which every politician of every stripe is putting on an act. They don't mean a freaking thing. They don't stand for anything. They do what's in their best self-interest all the time. It's either performative or phony or hyperbole all the time. And here you have a guy that's 100% to the bone sincere because he may die today, and that's for real. And he's staying. And those old guys standing around him are staying too because it's their country, and they're not going to let this happen, or at least over their dead body, literally saying, over my dead body are you taking this country. It's absolutely amazing. And that's what turned the tide. That's when Germany decided, you know what? We will sell arms to Ukraine. And hey, all you other countries that we sold arms to, you can give them to Ukraine. And France stepped up, and Italy stepped up, and Norway stepped up, and Sweden stepped up. And our own government, joining in sanctions that we said no to on Friday, all of a sudden were a good idea after that video came out. You know, the way world opinion works and politicians with their fingers in the wind trying to figure out when they're doing the right thing for the right reasons or just doing it because they saw 100,000 people in the streets of Berlin or Prague or wherever realizing they don't want to be on the wrong side of history. Or maybe they were actually inspired by this guy. As the Washington Post reported, there wasn't a dry eye in the room when they got off the video call with Zelensky over the weekend in which he said, you might not see me alive again. And they actually maybe cut through that thick, thick layer of whatever politicians have and got to human beings on the inside who said, we're not, we're not, we're not going to let this happen. I was watching Chuck Todd yesterday on meet the press. And, uh, he said, you watch these videos and you think, what do we need to do? How can I help? We need to do more. Whatever we're doing, we need to do more. Yeah, I think that's the way every man, woman, and child who has seen this stuff is reacting all across the world. Other thing Chuck Chuck Todd said on Meet the Press that was interesting is President Biden's State of the Union address is tomorrow night. And as sleepy-eyed Chuck Todd said, does he say anything about anything other than Ukraine? Is anybody going to want to hear that? Or does everybody just want to hear an address on how we're on the side of Ukraine, we're going to help Ukraine, and here's why? I know that's what I want to hear. Chuck Todd's words were, I just think the words build back better coming out of his mouth right now are going to sound really clunky. I would agree. Biden has an opportunity to really miss the moment tomorrow night 
if he starts to get into some sort of... Oh, imagine if he lays out some crap about Jim Crow on steroids and not allowing people to vote and all that bull S. Or some crap about the COVID that you know is not true. Following the science and CDC. If he starts into any of that extraneous... I almost dropped an S-bomb. If he's if he gets into any of that extraneous S that's not about how the United States and the free world is going to stand with President Zelensky, I think he's made a terrible miscalculation. Um, it's going to feel weird, the, the State of the Union address going tomorrow. Uh, who knows what's this going to look like tomorrow if, if President Zelensky is still alive at the time. We will be following this story. It's one of the most interesting things that's happened in my whole life. I couldn't get enough of it over the weekend. I was constantly checking in with Twitter and going between CNN, Fox, and MSNBC as they all had reporters there round the clock and what's the latest. And, you know, you would you would see, I, I figured out what time it is. From where I am, you subtract two hours and flip the a.m. p.m. So right now it's 7 p.m. in Kiev. And as a dark falls, that's usually when the bombs start falling and when it's the most dangerous. And, uh, you know, I'll be keeping my eyes on the news uh, all throughout the night, hoping that those brave men and women who are fighting for their very lives survive the night or survive long enough for the free countries of the world like the United States to get weapons in their hands. If you miss an hour, grab the podcast, armstrongandgetty.com. Armstrong and Getty.